Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. That means I'm up. If you'll be turning in your Bible to 1 Corinthians, Tyler, you are so tall. I'm going to have to lower this back down, man. <laughs> yes. All right, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10. We have been running through Corinthians, and it has been really, really good. And hopefully you all have been following along, but uh, as many of you know, our theme for the year is renewal. And man, 1 Corinthians is chock full of renewal. There's f- and I, I think one of the big things that I've been learning as we've been diving into this, and as I've been trying to go a little bit deeper, is renewal is really found in repentance. And repentance can be a really kind of downer word. It can be kind of a word that we uh, shy away from because we're like, that means I'm wrong and I've messed up and I'm the worst, all that stuff. But really, we, uh, we see a model in the Corinthians of people who were able to hear correction. And as we know, you know, what's great is we can zoom way out. We can go into 2 Corinthians and see these guys and how they handled hearing this correction. And it, and it inspired, you know, a, a willingness to change and a willingness to, to course correct and get right back on the, on the path. And so this morning, I want us to take a second here and uh, really just have a moment to kind of take a deep breath and to ask God to speak to us this morning. And I, I feel like that's so important because really these people needed to hear God through Paul and we need to hear that same God in our lives. And so let's take a second. We're just going to pray to ourselves that we hear God speak to us this morning. Father, we love you dearly, and we are so grateful to be here this morning. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, Father, that you would remove the fears, the distractions, the insecurities, Father, the worries and doubts, Father, anything that might be hindering us or in the way of us hearing you speak this morning, please help remove that from us. Help us to be an open, uh, an open book. Uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. And uh, Father, we just, we're coming to you because you're the source. You're the rock that we stand upon. And uh, Father, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's dive in. We have spent about a month, maybe even a couple months, going through um, the last couple chapters, eight and nine, and um, we're diving into 10. But if you didn't know, like eight through 10 is like one big argument he's making, one big point he's trying to get across to the Corinthians. 
And so really what I want to do today is I want to zoom way out so we can see the big picture and then we'll kind of, you know, zoom into chapter 10 and just figure out kind of the way he's ending this argument up. Um, you know, as we're going through this, we got to remember that this he's crafting an answer, you know, for some questions that were asked. So the first question, you know, was about divorce and about sexual morality, that kind of stuff. And now um, he's talking about uh, food offered to idols. And so he's answering a question. But as we go through, I want us to listen to his flow, where he's going. Listen for words that are repeated. Um, try and pick out the points he's trying to make or the arguments he's trying to make and, and how he's coming from different angles around this argument. I want us to kind of hear those things. And then two, I want us to, he's giving fatherly advice here. This, he's, this is coming from a place of love, not from a let me just beat you down um, place. This is a place as a father is giving advice to their children. But this is where I want us to start. We're going to read in just a second. But how will people know that we're disciples? Think about that question for a second. You know, we've been talking about disciple making. We've been talking a lot about discipleship. But how will people know that we're disciples? I think John describes this really well in two different places. And I want like I really want to start here because um, I think this will get us in the right mind frame. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then John continues. We're going to jump to 1 John 4, 7 through 11. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we uh, love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Boy, that's a word, propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. So John's teaching us here that we are distinguished by our love for each other, by our love for other people. That's that's important. That's how people will see God in us. That's how people can say, wow, there's something different about that person. That person loves God. And then our love should be modeled after Jesus's love. And that was a sacrificial love. It's not some sort of infatuation or like hand-holding or puppy love. You know, there's a whole lot of ideas about that, but it's a, it's a choice to have sacrificial love. And this here, these two verses, I believe is like the heart of what Paul is getting at as in these three chapters. This is the thread that ties it all together is that that God or people will know that you are his disciples if you love one another and that your love should match Jesus's love. It should be a sacrificial love. 
So we are going to do a lot of reading here real quick. And uh, so you guys hunker down. All right. I'm going to I'm going to read these three chapters because I think it's really important for us to. We've been like zooming way in, but I think we need to zoom out so that we can get the big picture. So we're going to start in eight and then we will we will go all the way through ten. Buckle up. Starting in verse one of chapter eight, it says about food offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food offered to idols, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or as there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. However, not everyone has, his not, has this knowledge. In fact, some have, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not make us unacceptable or make us acceptable. Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we do eat, and we are not better if we do. I'm so sorry, guys. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has this knowledge, uh, dining in an idol's temple, won't this weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against the brothers, and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat, so that I won't cause my brother to fall. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Do, doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned with oxen or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us because he who plows ought to plow in hope. 
And he who threshes, threshes should do so in hope for sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too... Is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? However, we have not made us, I'm sorry, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. But I have used none of these rights, and I have not written this to make it happen that way for me. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel... I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwilling, unwillingly, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and not make full use of my authority in the gospel. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without that law, like one without the law, not being without God's law, but within Christ's law, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so I may become a partner in its benefits. Do you know that a runner in a stadium, that, I'm sorry, do you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual foods and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to, got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. 
Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in what is offered on the altar? What am I saying then? The food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no question uh, for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go eat, eat everything that is before you without raising question of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it out of the consideration for the one who told you. And for conscience sake, I did not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person, person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Amen. All right. So that was really, really long, right? And I uh, thanks for bearing with me as I stumbled through that. Um, but we can read that and think that that's going in a lot of different directions. When we hyper-focus in on stuff, we can think that these things have nothing to do with one another. And even some of the subject matter, the points that he's making, might just not make sense because he's talking about things that don't really apply to our culture or um, they may have understood better. But I want to go through and just hit a couple of these highlights because... In this, in this long bit that I just read, there is 
a lot of heart behind what's being said there. There's a lot of stuff right under the surface um, that I think is really important for us to hear, but that um, even if some of this stuff like eating food that's sacrificed to idols may not really necessarily apply to our situation, there's some ideas behind there that are really good. So just a couple of highlights in chapter eight. He's going through and laying out the circumstances, laying out what's going wrong, what, what we're dealing with here. And the very, you know, one through three, he says, knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. That right there is like the thesis. It's like the main point for the whole thing. Right there, that's like the undertext of everything that he's, he's going to be teaching. And then at the end, this is a, another really big point there is, therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. And there's this idea you get again, there's this idea of standing on your own two feet and be careful that you don't fall or cause other people to fall. And, but really the, the undertext is I have so much love for my brothers that I won't do anything that will hinder them in their relationship with God. Chapter 9, we, he rolls in and it starts to sound like he's talking about something else, but he's not. He's, chapter 9, he's saying... You guys who th are sure of yourselves and you think you know what's going on, he's like, look at me. I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I've got this, you know, as one who is approved, I like, let me use me. I have all these rights and I don't use them for your sake. You know, and, and just a couple of the highlights in this is, uh, is if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? However, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. And that's verse 12 in here. And verse 18, what then is my reward to preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and not make full use of my authority in the gospel? And this idea of restraint and self-control that he's saying he has as an apostle, we will see that that's what he's encouraging us to do. 22 through 23, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so I may become a partner in its benefits. And again, you have this idea that he's using his freedom to, he, to make himself like the people that are weak in their understanding, weak of conscience. And I do this because of the gospel. And therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And you just get this idea of like, he's, set, he's setting the stage for what he's coming up, but this idea of being self-controlled with 
purposeful. I'm not just doing randomness. I'm not just like punching the air and running in circles. Um, but he also does not want to be disqualified. So there's, all right, there's eight and nine in a nutshell. And we're going to jump here into 10. Um, a couple things when we dive into this. I, for myself, when I, when I was going into this, it's very easy to get caught in the weeds. It's very easy to jump into this and really, oh my goodness, he's talking about being baptized into Moses and there's all kinds of stuff in there that you could like, you could go into a ton of rabbit holes. And I encourage you to dive down some of those rabbit holes. I did. Um, but really, those like he's not trying to make a point about baptism and Moses and all these other things. What he's trying to do here is say, look at the Israelites. They had a savior. They were freed. They're just like you. They were on their way to the promised land. They had freedoms. But despite all that, most of them, uh, but God was not pleased with most of them. This idea that these people, your ancestors, your forefathers, the founders of our faith, God's people, even they were struggling. And, and he's trying to make a point comparing them to, to the Israelites. And then from there, you know, in chapter and verse six, he starts setting this example. And again, we could dive deep into each of these things. We see that he says, um, he talks about don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and play. I mean, that's Exodus, you know, I believe it's 32. Um, from there, they start quoting some stuff from Numbers. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed. And really here he's calling. He's saying, look at the Israelites. They were doing the same thing you guys are doing. These people who were saved and had like in God, they were God's people and they weren't acting right. I feel like I just... I want to just like try and clear some of those things up so we're not hung up on the wrong things here. He's trying to make a point with that. And um, so I think that's kind of the backstory where I want to get to. And this is where I guess I'll start preaching, I guess. This seems like a good enough place to kind of dive in. Um, <laughs> but... Um, there's I want to I want to talk about some of the points, some of the heart of what he's getting at, because, oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff that we can get caught in the wrong stuff. And really, the, the this underlying point of, OK, you guys have rights as disciples, rights as those approved of God. But you don't have to use those. Those rights have got to be regulated by love. And really, that's underneath all of this. So. We see there at the beginning of chapter 10, actually coming right out of that. To me, when I was reading this, that section 24 through 27, to me, that sounded so stinking random. Why all of a sudden is he talking about running a race and all of this? It didn't make any sense. But really this idea that he wants us to get this idea about a, warning us that you can be disqualified. 
Okay, there is a chance of disqualification. And he says, let me take this point to the Israelites. Let me show you through the Israelites that, look, these guys, I went through lengths to save these people. Like the number of miracles that had to happen to get these folks out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land. Like he didn't spare anything. It's crazy. But despite all that, a generation of people were disqualified from entering the promised land. And the thing we have to remember is sin has consequences. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And what do we see here? He, you know, he talks about complaining, death, sexual immorality. What was that one? Was he eaten by snakes? I'm telling you, that's crazy. We have got to be very, very careful how we're living because there's consequences for the choices that we make. That's when we talk about it in those types of terms, you can look back and you can think about what he's trying to to get across right there before when he's talking about those racers. Is it if there's consequences, we have to be intentional. We have to be self-controlled in the way that we live. We can't just run in circles and run like we're beating the air and you got to think what I love as I've been learning this is you, you start to kind of get his strain, like his thought process, the stream of consciousness, because in Exodus 32, that's where you go. They go and they make the idol. And he says very clearly in that passage that they were out of control. And he's saying, I'm sure he's thinking about that as He's about to go in talking about the Israelites and that that he's like, wait, I've got to go into strict control. I bring myself into a strict control over everything. You got to think that he was also thinking about Moses, who was disqualified from going into the promised land. You know, when he comes in and he says, um, uh, where was it? Right here. He says, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You got to think that he's like, shoot, even after preaching and being this guy, if Moses can be disqualified, I can be disqualified. This right here, we, we have got to be okay with there being a really high standard. Yeah. Like this, this is something that is really tough. We try and like really dumb down Christianity to make it more palatable for people. And that's, that's scary. I was talking to Keith about this the other day. Is it like, what if the Navy SEALs dumbed down their requirements? You know, if they made it where that hell week or whatever it was that they had to go through, what if they did that and they just let anybody come in? The Navy SEALs would not be the elite force that it is today and hold in, held in such high regard as it is because every Joe Schmo could be in it. It just it would lose its power. It would lose what made it special and what made it great. You know, I think the other thing that's the other little thing with the Navy SEALs is oftentimes more people quit than are actually kicked out. 
And that's like, we got to be okay with people going down the path and saying, whoa, this isn't for me. And, and like acknowledging that and, and being okay, that's cool. But the likelihood of us kicking people out, that's, that's really not the case. You know, that happens very rarely. But being okay with holding up God's standard of things and not trying to doctor it to make it fit in with our culture or what, what we think is, is right or better. You know, I think the other bit of that is that I love that the Corinthians were tough. I love that they were able to hear this correction, hear these warnings, and they weren't fragile about it. It didn't make them crumble. It, it made them say, it, like it may have hurt them some, but they were like, oh man, we got to get on the ball. Let's go. Let's do it. And it led them to repentance. It led them to change. And we know this from 2 Corinthians 7. You know, we can't, like, it is, I feel like today it is so easy for us to, to want to pander to each other and, and be like, we got to have our kid gloves on for every single situation when we really don't. It says to speak the truth in love, to be seasoned with salt, you know, and sometimes a little salt in a wound that, that stings a little bit, but we've got to be that for each other. These are serious warnings. Warnings that I'm like imparting on you today that the wages of your sin could lead to death. Hopefully not by snakes, but they could lead to death. And we have got to be careful and we've got to be able to talk about these things. And it may sting and it may be uncomfortable, but it shouldn't crush you. It should lead you to repentance. It should lead you to, to changing the way that we think. And... And that's, I'm telling you, that right there, that little nugget, that's where we find renewal. That's where we find refreshment. Because it's okay that we're not perfect, but we are moving toward being like Jesus. It's, it's the journey of moving to being like Jesus. I love that. You know, I think one of the things that we get as he's going through and, um, and sharing is that he's really warning the Corinthians about pride. Pride in the sense, these guys, these guys had a pride of where they were at, like they wouldn't fall, like they were above being succumbed by sin. And you see that at the very beginning. I don't think he would, he would say there at the beginning of 8 about us, like, be... Be careful, y'all, who think you understand because you really, you, you actually are about to fall. Be careful of your footing. This whole idea that knowledge leads to pride. You know, we've got to understand that none of us are above sin or above struggling with sin. I, Sarah made this point when we were talking about divorce a couple weeks ago. This idea that, man, we may be good now, but we need to be on top of it because none of us, we are all a couple decisions away from being that person. And it's the same. We are all a couple decisions away from leaving Christ. And we have got to bring our bodies under strict control. And, um, you know, I think... Uh,
This right here can come from a place of, you know what? I've had a conversion experience. I'm good. I'm set up. You know, now I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want because of God's grace and I'm set up. We've got to be careful about thinking that way because we are close to the edge and about to slip. Maybe it's, I've been around for a long time. I know the ropes. I'm good. I'm set up. We've got to be careful. We, the, the warning is real that there's not a place where we can just put our feet up and relax. We are actually in the middle of a race. We are working towards a goal, and we've got to be aware that we could be out of bounds. We could, we could slip up and not think that we're above sin. The other bit here that, that we see, and really this comes out in the section here of 25 to 31, he's talking about the way that we participate in communion. There are real spiritual truths that happen. When we participate, we are participating with Christ and his death, burial, resurrection. We are like, we are, we are taking part in that. And he's saying, on the other hand, those of you who go to the temple and you're participating in the food that's being sacrificed to idol, you are participating you are being spiritually linked to demons, to that. There are spiritual realities that are going on with the things that we participate in. But the real, like, when, when we take a step deeper into this, because we can get caught up in the demons and all that stuff, when you think about, when you think about where they're coming from, this is a place where everybody, you know, sacrificed stuff to idols. Everybody was committing adultery and, like, sexual immorality this was their culture this is what they were stepping out of and this was more a call not to go back to where you were not to return to those old places there's a call to to stand firm and to go forward not to backslide you know not to return to those places and people were using their freedom they said yeah it's good for like idols are nothing and i'll eat this meat or whatever but it was leading them back to the old temples. It was leading them back to places that were not good. You know, why did the Corinthians wrestle with this and why might we wrestle with this? A lot of these folks had status in their old places. They were held in high regard or they like... I don't know, you, you know how it is when you leave an old friend group and you were like established there. And it's hard not to just want to go back to where you're established, where you, you know, people thought of you one way or whatever. And I, that's something they were wrestling with. I think that's something we wrestle with. It's hard to like completely like pull ourselves away and start going in a different direction. But the warning is not to go there. You know, maybe some of them were naive. And they were freshly converted, like, I can't handle this. I'm just going back to see the boys. I'm just going back, you know, to the frat house or wherever that is for you. You know, maybe it's the bar. Maybe it's the club. Maybe, you know, it's somebody's house or who knows what that thing is for you. But you're like, I can handle this. I can go back there. And people are going back to places um, and they weren't prepared. They weren't under strict control. You know, they were... 
sliding back in the warnings there for them. You know, maybe it was a FOMO, fear of missing out. They, they're leaving something like, man, something good is still going on, and I don't want to miss out on it, you know? Um, I think those are real things that we have to wrestle with here, things that we have to, like, be sober about and really, like, be in the light about. Maybe this, is, this might be the hardest one, but maybe the older way was just easier. And I think that that's, that's the thing with this high standard. You know, it's, it's easy when I don't have to consider other people. It's easier when I get an itch, I can scratch it. You know, and that's, this is, I think that this is probably, I know this is where I fall into, is, man, it's just, I don't have to work as hard if I go back to the old places. I can just kind of slide in and coast and that's where I live. But I was reminded of, uh, uh, of this proverb here, Proverbs 26, 11. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. You know, in second, uh, second Peter, Peter adds on to that one, you know, as a pig cleans itself, returns back to the mud. You know, we clean ourselves off and then we're right back into the mud. And we've really got to be careful that that is a foolish way of thinking going back. So one of the things that, that Paul calls out here that is kind of linked into this pride, when he's going through the list of the sins, he talks about testing Christ. And really, I think that that's a point that we need to hone in. We've talked a, a lot about the idol idolatry we've talked about the sexual immorality i mean we've even talked about the complaining because these guys were complaining about their leaders just like the israelites were complaining about moses and their leadership but this idea of testing christ really what that came down to is the israelites thought that they knew better they thought why moses why are you taking us this way when we could go this way why why are we eating this when we could eat this why like I've got an idea about where this should go. And it, it's, it's linked into that complaining. But it's more about, man, they thought they knew best. And I think the what we got to be careful is that, one, Jesus is in the right place and we have the right understanding of where we are in relation to him. But oftentimes, we've considered our rights and nothing else we've like we've considered this is what i want these are my needs this is how you can build me up what will make me feel special and that's literally the only thing we've thought about and and when we take a step back there's a lot going on in this picture there's a lot of moving pieces god said we are coming together as one body and we're knit and joined together and all that you are no longer you you're us, you're we, the, the collective, you know, and, and the, the idea that we can just think about ourselves or, and that's the wrong way of thinking. This is the, like the idea of changing the way that we think. And I think that this is what happens so many times when we, when we church shop is we're like, what's going to be my needs? What's going to be the best thing for me? And not considering 
that there's actually work for us to do and that we are a piece of the collective. I feel like, uh, like what I was thinking is we can be more, think we're more like the neglected widows, you know, in Acts, that, that like we come to the, to the leadership and look, I'm the neglected widow, when really we're not. You're just being selfish, you know? <laughs> I, I need more people to attend to me, you know? And really, it's, we just need to mature and, and think about what's going on outside of us. That's some heavy stuff, isn't it, y'all? <laughs> it's like real quiet. But um, these, are, these are the warnings. These are the things that he's, he's like, be careful. This road you're going down. But we, get, we start to get some encouragement here. Let's jump over. Going back and forth. It says... Says in verse 12 of chapter 10, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. He repeats what he said at the beginning of chapter 8. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. That's kind of encouraging. All right. That's to me the idea that we're all in the same boat. These temptations of pride, these temptations to take care of ourselves. This is common, okay? We can talk about it and be blunt about it because we're all in the same boat. We all struggle with the same thing. He says there's no, this temptation to go back where you came from. No temptation has ever ta- overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation... He will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. I think what I love here, Second uh, Peter, I've been, Second Peter, really, I mean, he's talking about a little bit different stuff, but a lot of, seems like parallels. It says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. But this idea that we serve a God who knows how to rescue, he knows how to come in and make a way for us. Man, we can trust that. We can trust that there, like when we are feeling those things and we're like, I know this isn't right. I know that this isn't the way I should be living, whatever. That is, that's God saying, look, your conscience is, is telling you there's a way out. It's, time, it's decision time. It's, it's time to move. But I think the warning in this is, are we looking for a way out or a way to indulge? He said he'll provide a way out. There's going to be a way out, but that might not be what you're looking for. And you might say, God isn't helping me. He's not just kicking me out of this temptation. Are you even looking for the way out? Are you looking for a way to indulge or a way to go in whatever uh, you're doing? I love the fact that there's, there's no guilt in temptation, but it's common. You know, I love, I, I love it like... When we get in this place, we can 
feel sometimes guilty that we had a bad thought or I thought about doing this thing even though we didn't do it. That might mean that you took the way out. And that's a good thing and being okay with taking the way out. But we've got to look for it. It's decision time. You've got to choose the way out. Choose wisely. I think the, the last thought on that is I just was thinking about Jesus asking the man at the pool, do you want to get well? I think that when we come up to these situations, what do you, what do you really want? What is the, like, your heart in this? Is it too hard? It, like, it, like, and it's okay if it is. I wish more people would just be okay with where they were at and being okay with saying, this, I can't do this. This is too much. Because what can happen is we can spend a whole lot of time and resources trying to fit a, you know, a round, what is it, a round peg through a square hole. You know, we can spend a lot of time trying to force something when if that person just says, no, I don't really want to get well. This isn't really what I want. That can be okay. But also, if we want to get well, we have got to be in the light. We've got to be making those small incremental decisions to choose the way out of temptation, not to go deeper and deeper in it. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's a truth. That is a truth we can hold on to. So as we get down... Towards the end of this chapter, I think this is the stuff that, that I, I really, really love. He gets down in 23, he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. If you guys have been paying attention as we've been reading, he's repeating what he said in chapter 6 again. But he's going to build on it. There they were talking about sexual morality. But here he's going to, not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. This, he's going back to that thesis at the beginning of chapter 8. What did he say here? We all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If, anything, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. But this idea of love is meant to build up. I, I just, I, I'll tell you guys, I just love all these little connections that I've been making as reading this and going back and forth and all the little things that he's repeating. I love that uh, he, I don't know, I just, I like it. But not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So I think that, that this right here, everything I've been talking about so far, it could be a really big bummer, right? We're talking about hard things. We're talking about tough things. And this could be, this could be one of those things where it becomes all about us losing our freedom us losing all our rights. And honestly, the first time I went through this, I'm like, I can't lose another thing. Like, literally, I feel like I'm trying to be sacrificial. I'm trying my best, 
You're telling me to lose another thing. And I think this is where, um, when I kind of honed in on this love builds up, it, it really is started changing the way that I was thinking about this. Paul was not saying you need to lose your freedom for the sake of losing your freedom. It was to warn those he loved. It was, it was to promote repentance and a change of perspective on how you viewed yourself in relation to God and to other people. It was to set up freedom regulated by love. And that is, I, I, I think for me, when I consider all the things that we just talked about in those terms, that my freedom should be regulated by my love for God and regula regulated by my love for other people. That that, like, I want to do that. Like, in my heart of hearts, that's what I really want. And you think about all the stuff that's going on in our culture, and you can't trust anybody, and everybody seems to be out to get somebody else. And, I mean, and racial stuff and just political stuff, it just... It's tough, but I, like, I feel like this is what can fix that, is this idea of freedom that's regulated by love. It says, for you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. That's Galatians 5, 13. So this isn't just self-denial for the sake of self-denial, but for the sake of building up our community. I love this. When I'm presented with the opportunity, I choose you over me. I love that. I want to be that guy. God wants me to be that guy. But in these terms, when I, can, when I just think about so you're, what a drag it is just to like, okay, I guess you can do what you want and walk all over me. That's not what he's preaching here. When it comes down to it, I choose you over me. Imagine if we were all saying that to one another. I've got your back. I'm willing to make less of myself for you. I, I love that. I'm going to use my freedom as a way to relate or empathize like Paul did in the hopes that I may win a few. Man, that changes, that changes this, like my perspective on how I view this teaching. It means to do this, we've got to be intentional and self-controlled. There is a real specific reason why he put that section right in the center of this, this idea of being disqualified and that we need to be intentional and self-controlled. If I'm not those ways, I'm only thinking about me and I won't even see your needs. I won't even see what's going on. Like I'll be so enclosed in my bubble that I'll have, like there's, we've all been there when we're walking around. We don't even notice that there's people in the room with us. I mean, I went for a walk the other day and I was just walking by and I was looking at the houses and you could see lights on in different houses. Have you ever considered that they're like had those moments where you're walking around? And you're like, wow, 
people are living their lives in there. People are going through their things in that little, in that space, that confined space that I'm walking by. There are people in there laughing or crying or eating lunch or, you know, changing a baby's diaper or getting ready to go to work. Like, it's crazy. You think about that and realize that I'm not the only person on this earth. That's, that's, that's crazy. But we have got to be self-controlled in everything and intentional or we will miss out on this beautiful relationships that we have here. And we've got to be ready. Like this will help us be ready to build. I love that idea of being ready to build. I love like, I don't know you guys. I was a mechanic for a long time. I worked on cars, but ever since I was young, I love building stuff and working with my hands and all that. And, and really that's what we are being called to do is build each other up. When we come together, we are, we are all have work to do and there's all ways that we can contribute, but it takes each one of us being intentional to build. And this is one of my absolute favorite scriptures when I think about the church. It says in Ephesians 4.16, From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I love that idea that we are a connected unit. We are connected by by like I, I, just the idea of a body working and moving, but each part is doing what it was built to do to promote the growth, to promote maturity and building up in love. I love that each person doing their part. That's so, so good. But the big picture of all of this here, and I'm, I'm just about done here, is that the big p- picture is not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. That's what he ends with down there at the bottom. This is not like, I'm not seeking this out for me, but the profit of many so that, so that they may be saved. And I want us to, as we continue, look for this idea as we continue to go through 1 Corinthians this idea of that we're builders, that we're to be building up in love. We're going to see that. And as you guys know, we'll see a big crescendo in Corinthians 13 when he goes and talks about love there. But the, the thing I want us to leave, lead, uh, leave with here is all of this. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. And really going back to the heart of it is, man, God has been so good to me. So good. He gave his son for me. Who's going to be Lord? Is it going to be me or is it going to be God? Am I only going to be concerned with myself or am I going to do what Jesus asked me to do? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.